0: Well, we are right in the middle of our Peter series, our summer Peter series right now. And I don't know about you, but this has been some pretty good stuff uh, for me to digest uh, as I think about our church tagline, which is, uh, together, because life is messy, uh, I am reminded that Peter, this man whose life was nothing short of messy, was chosen by God to lead his church. And I, I don't know about you, but that gives me a ton of confidence, There are times that I wake up and I go, I'm not competent enough to fulfill the mission or or the vision that God might have for me. There there is no way that I am qualified. And yet God still has a plan that involves me. I mean, that is the story of Peter, right? Like that is Peter's story. A man who in no way seems to have it uh, together and yet has been proclaimed by Jesus as the person to carry out his vision for his church. And then Peter goes on to do exactly, exactly that. But life is messy for all of us though, isn't it? Life is, is really just, it's messy. Even for those of us who are on the outside seem to have it all together, uh, even as a, as a leader and as a pastor in the church, my life is messy, okay? My life is messy, but I'm holding on to this promise that God has a purpose and a plan for a messy life even even a messy life uh, like, like mine. And it's for that reason that I can really relate to Peter. And, and I guess my hope would be that as we continue this, this series and we start diving into uh, the second letter, even this morning, that you would begin to make some of those same comparisons uh, for yourself. Because there is a truth about who God has created you to be even in the midst of the messiness. We just finished 1 Peter, uh, where he spends a pretty significant amount of time walking the church through a time of persecution and really narrowing in on how they should respond to to these these outside pressures. And uh, we're jumping into the second letter this morning, and he has a slightly different uh, purpose for this letter. He's actually ad- addressing some internal conflict within the church, specifically some false teaching that is, is taking place within the, the body. And it's worth noting here, the church is still in exile. Okay, The church has not left exile from, from the first letter to the second letter. They're still in uh, exile. They are still scattered all throughout Asia. It's still extremely difficult for them to live out the mission God has called them to, to, to live out. They live in a culture that, that does not share their same uh, value system. Life is messy right now for the early church. So you can imagine that some internal conflict within the church is probably something that, that wouldn't be all that much of a, of a stretch. But I love how Peter addresses the conflict, and we're, and we're going we're gonna to dive into it a little more here in a minute. But I just want to point out that Peter, he doesn't shy away from addressing the conflict. He doesn't just just point out the, the, uh, the misguided teaching and, and tell them to be weary of it or, or to watch out for it uh, or to be careful. No, he actually breaks down for them how to combat untruth with truth. And I I think this is so pertinent for us today because we live in a culture that tells us so many untruths about who we are. And as a Christian, it leads to believing that either A, we are incapable of fulfilling the mission of God, which is untrue, or B, we are capable of fulfilling the mission of God in our own power, which is also untrue. Peter lays out a, a framework for us. Uh, it, that says we can fulfill the mission of God by the power of God. And that it's only when we realize that God has already given us everything, everything that we need to succeed through that power, that we can wholeheartedly pursue the righteousness of God. But what happens so often is that we either fail to understand that it is God who is the source and so we end up trying to accomplish it in our, in our own strength, in our own power, or that uh, somehow we are in, insignificant in God's plan, or, or, or life is too messy. There's no way God could possibly use us, so we defer back to our comfort zone of, of complacency. And church, both of those things, both of those things are misguided and misinformed understandings of our relationship with God. Peter gives us a different picture, and this is how I'm going to refer to it this morning. The power of God unlocks the pursuit of God, which enables us to participate in the work of God. So let's jump into the text here. Verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So right off the bat, Peter identifies himself as a servant. He's immediately taking a a humble posture. He's immediately giving the credit back to God. As as Pete said last week, Peter never takes credit for anything that happens. He's always giving the praise back to God. This is a a pretty clear sign of the transformation that's taken place in, in Peter's life before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter loves Jesus. He's, he's, he tries really hard to follow Jesus. He's really passionate about Jesus. And he makes a lot of mistakes. He, uh, he over promises and he underdelivers. And then after the Holy Spirit comes on them at Pentecost, uh, he becomes this confident but humble uh, leader of the church. He begins to see things from a different perspective. He begins to see uh, his, his life of following Jesus Uh, from the perspective of sacrifice and and servanthood. Now, by no means is is Peter uh, perfect uh, at this point, uh, but he is clearly growing. There's transformation that has clearly uh, taken place. Before Pentecost, if you remember the story, he's slicing off the ear of Malchus the guard because he's so passionate about Jesus and he's trying to protect Jesus. And then after uh, Pentecost... He's telling the guards that he isn't worthy to die the way that Jesus died. So he tells him to, bear, to, to crucify him upside down. You see the transformation that's taken, that's taken place there. By no means is he perfect, but he's a different man. He's a different person. And it's important to emphasize that it's not in his own power. It's not in his own power that Peter becomes who he becomes. Peter becomes that because of the spirit working in his life. So much so that it becomes natural for him to address himself as a servant of Jesus. And as I was preparing this week I couldn't help but ask myself the question, can I call myself a servant of Jesus? I want to follow Jesus. I love Jesus, but do I overpromise and underdeliver? Do I truly rely on the Holy Spirit to shape my life? And I think to be able to truthfully answer that question, I have to answer another question first. And that is when push comes to shove, who takes precedence in my life? Peter clearly wants us to know that the pursuit of God is less about my actions and it's more about my allegiance. That's not to say that at times our actions don't uh, reveal things about who we are. They do. uh, But you always have to start with the question of who or what are you loyal to? Because if, if we start with our actions first, then it becomes really easy to make it about us. It becomes really easy to make it about what I can or what I can't do. When the truth is without God, without the Holy Spirit, we are powerless to become anything. The power of God unlocks the pursuit of God. Verse two. Peter says, "Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord." So Peter's saying, "Look, when you know God, you will experience an abundance of, of grace. And peace. And don't confuse knowledge here with theological understanding. Peter is very intentionally stating that when we enter into relationship with God, when we go deeper into relationship with God, that's what he means here by by knowledge. Understanding who God is, understanding the, the theological understanding of God is certainly important, but that isn't the key that unlocks our ability to pursue the righteousness of God. In other words, that's not what enables us to live a holy life. Let me remind you here again because I think that it's so important to understanding what Peter's trying to say. The audience he is speaking to is living in exile. I can't say that enough. They're living in a predominantly Greek culture and they're being asked to live in many ways completely contradictory to everything and everyone around them. Now, a few years ago, I was in uh, Nicaragua uh, with some students on, a, on a, a missions trip. And there were several ways that the Nikas lived that was a, a, a different than the way that we were used to living, that we are used to living. We were only there for 10 days, but it was unbelievably uh, hard for me to remember some of these things. And one of them was that they don't flush their toilet paper down the toilet. Now, if you uh, have ever been in a developing country before, uh, most of them... Uh, do not flush toilet paper down the toilet simply because their sewer systems can't handle it. They're not equipped to, to break down the, uh, the particles and, and, and it clogs everything and there's a big mess. So they don't flush their toilet paper down the toilet. But this is so unbelievably hard to remember because it's just a natural thing that we do, right? And so uh, myself or somebody else would go into the bathroom and you would use the bathroom and, and uh, you'd hear the toilet flush and then all of a sudden you'd hear, oh, shoot, or man, And you'd walk out and, of course, someone would say, you forgot and flushed the toilet paper down the toilet, didn't you? Um, And, uh, you know, imagine if we were there for several months. Eventually, it would become natural, right, to not flush the toilet paper down the toilet. That would become a natural thing. You would eventually learn that. It would become a, a second nature to not do it. But what if I lived in Nicaragua and it was a part of my fundamental belief system that I had to flush the toilet paper down the toilet, right? There would be some conflict there, right? There would be some, some issues there. There would be some serious pressure for me to comply because otherwise I might cause some serious sewer issues. I might be responsible for some, some serious problems. Now, thankfully, flushing or not flushing toilet paper uh, down the toilet has nothing to do with my fundamental belief system. Um, it is not a, a 10 commandment uh, that I'm aware of. So, so that, that's not the case, but you could imagine this immense pressure that these Christians living in Asia must have felt. There are some fundamental things about their Christian belief system that completely contradicts the Greek culture that they're living in. And what Peter is stressing to them here is that the more they align themselves with God and seek after his wisdom, the more grace and peace they will experience, and living a holy life will be attainable, and that is just as true for us today in our culture. There are things about our culture that completely contradicts our fundamental belief system as followers of Jesus, but if all we do is try to be better followers of of Jesus in our own power, if that's all we do, we don't stand a chance. Pursuing God and living a holy life, I want you to know, are not synonymous terms, okay? They're not. We can seek after God through prayer, through reading scripture, and engaging with other followers, other believers. And that will help us and and, and make it attainable, and and we will be able to live a holy Christ-centered life. So we can pursue Christ. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're living a holy life yet, but you can still pursue Christ. You can still uh, do what it takes to make a holy life attainable. It's possible. Peter goes on in verse three. He says, His divine power has given us that everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So everything that we need to live a holy life, God has given us. There is nothing that is unavailable to us that would be necessary for us to live a holy life. It is all accessible to us. In other words, the only thing that could stop us from becoming like Jesus is our own inability to recognize what God has already given us. This is really profound because uh, so often in our humanity, we tend to focus on our limitations. And and most of the time, our limitations become our, our excuse. I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect. I'm only human. One day I'll get my life squared away. But if we believe that Jesus came here to show us how we should live, that must mean that that life that he lived is attainable not suggesting that we can attain to the the fullness of of who Jesus was. Remember, Jesus was, he was fully human, but yet he was also fully God. Um, But we can certainly live the humanistic life that Jesus lived. That life is attainable. Peter certainly believes this. And he goes so far to even say that everything we need to make that happen is accessible. We don't have to wait until God makes that life available to us. We don't have to somehow work our way up to the point of accessibility. It has already been made available to us. We can participate in the mission of God because God has already prepared us in every way necessary. Matthew 5, Jesus is uh, speaking to a crowd and um, he's talking about loving your enemies. And uh, he finishes up that section simply by saying this. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now that, I don't know about you, but that is a pretty uh, daunting command. (laughs) And it is a command. He's not leaving open the option. He's saying be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He doesn't say one day you will be perfect as as God is. He doesn't say strive to be like God. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, Jesus isn't telling them that uh, they're never going to make a mistake ever again. That's not the point of what he's telling them. Uh, what he's saying is he's literally telling them that they have what they need to live the kind of life God wants them to live. They have the ability to treat even their worst enemies with kindness and love because God has already given them that innate ability through his own power. They lack nothing in terms of uh, of tools or abilities to complete the task. They have it we have it. We have it, shirts. Let me give you a, a, an example of what I'm talking about. Um, my son, who is uh, almost two years old, uh, his name is Maddox. Uh, this is one of his favorite tool, toys. And um, this is also one of his most frustrating toys. Um, and uh, the way uh, it works is, I don't know if all of you can see this or not, but it's a cylinder. And on the outside of the cylinder are shapes. And um, these shapes also have blocks that come with them and you have to match up the block with the shape. Seems pretty simple, right? Um, and uh, my son, he's, he's starting to learn his shapes. He knows like circle and triangle and square. He can match them up pretty well. Uh, the problem is these blocks are 3D, okay? So they're 3D, which means that um, not only do you have to match up the shape, you gotta match it up the right way, right? And so what happens is he gets the shape right He has what he needs to complete the task, but he gets so frustrated because he tries to jam it in the hole the wrong way. And so he gets frustrated, and what he does is he takes all the blocks, he turns it over, and he starts throwing them in the top, and he throws his hand in the air, like he completed the task, right? This is what we do so often as as followers of Christ. I think often we stop believing that God has already given us the pieces, that we have everything that we need to complete the task, that we have everything that we need to be holy as Jesus is holy and we get frustrated and we look for the easy way out. And then we, and then we find excuses. Oh, well, I'm not good enough. Maybe one day I'll be able to do that. Maybe one day God will, will fix this or fix that so that, so that I can uh, actually fit and the pieces will actually fit. Church, it's not until we believe that God has already prepared us, that he has already given us everything necessary that we can fully engage in the mission. You have everything that you need to be who God has created you to be. The power of God unlocks the pursuit of God, which enables you to participate, which enables us to participate in the work of God. Peter goes on in verse four. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, this is a, a really wordy verse. Um, here's what Peter's saying. There are two benefits to having everything that you need accessible to you. First one is you can resist evil. You don't have to sin. It is possible for you to live a holy life. Second one is you can participate in the work that God has already prepared you to do. We can argue all day long about whether or not we can resist sin ultimately and and be holy and live holy lives. Peter obviously thinks that you can I was on the other side of that argument for a long time. Bottom line is Jesus lived a life of holiness on this earth. And he did so for a reason, so that we could know what it's like. And not not just know what it's like, but so that we can know that it's possible. But I want to focus on the the, uh, other piece of that for a minute. Peter says we can participate in the divine nature. That feels like a pretty bold statement. Maybe even a little heretical. But what he's saying is you can actually do whatever it is that God has created you to do. You you get to live out your God-given purpose. There is nothing except yourself that can hinder you or stop you from fulfilling your God-given purpose. Because here's the deal. Once we realize that the source is the power of God, once we know that we have the ability to pursue God and to live a godly life, then we can participate in the purpose that God has given us, and that is divine. And it's always in that order. What happens sometimes is that we get those out of order and we try to live a godly life without realizing that it's only through the power of God that that is even possible, and we fail, and we fail again, and eventually we, we give up. And, and our purpose is never realized. Or maybe, maybe what happens is sometimes we participate, uh, we want to participate in the divine. We, we want to live a meaningful life. We want to, to have a greater purpose. But we are not pursuing a godly life. So whatever purpose we're living out seems good for a while, but eventually we get bored. And it's not fulfilling anymore. Because it's not the purpose that God created us for. It's a purpose we created for ourselves. The power of God unlocks the pursuit of God, which enables us to participate in the work of God. Peter goes on. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness into brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed of his past sins. When we are committed to this process, when we are committed to this process right here, we build virtue on top of virtue. Peter says we possess them in increasing measure. In other words, it's ongoing. It's not something that one day in this life you will attain the, the full measure of. We keep building and building virtue on top of virtue. And the more we do this, the more effective and the more productive we will be in fulfilling the mission and the purpose that God has given us. The danger is if we stop pursuing these We become focused on what pleases our eye in the moment. Peter says we become nearsighted. We forget about what God has already done in us and we stop dreaming about what God wants to do through us. It's a cyclical pattern that that, that Peter is is talking about. We must pursue Christ-like virtues or we become blind and complacent. But if we forget that our source is the power of God through the Holy Spirit, we're just spinning our wheels because it's impossible to live a holy life without the power of God. So we must constantly pursue these virtues in everything that we do and we must always, always remember that it's only through the power of God that it is even possible for us to do so. He finishes off this section by encouraging us. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I realize this is, it can be an intimidating sermon. It sometimes feels like, man, if I work too hard, I fail. But if if I don't work hard enough, I fail. I fail right? Like you're, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't, right? So I wonder sometimes it's helpful to me as I'm processing this to take a step back and just to simply say, God, you are big enough. You are powerful enough. You are loving enough and you are simply enough for me. I trust you. Show me where I'm at on this map, And teach me how to be more committed to you. Teach me how to be more committed to your church. Teach me how to be more committed to your mission and the purpose that you have given me. That's the heart of this statement right here. That's what that means. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we realize that we are powerless without you we recognize that we are completely and totally dependent upon you. But we also realize that we have a part to play, that there is an effort that we need to make. So help us hold firm to our allegiance to you. Help us us to always remember where our strength comes from. But God, give us the passion to pursue you with everything we have. We love you, Father, in your name.